Welcome to Forward, the podcast of the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. This is your home for progressive, thought-provoking real talk in the chiropractic profession. Featuring the legends, the innovators, and the thought leaders that move our profession forward. And now your host, Dr. Bobby Maybe. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Forward, the podcast of the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. You can learn more about the FTCA at forwardthinkingchiro.com. And we have an Instagram. It's FTCA underscore official. And we also have multiple Facebook groups that represent different parts of the FTCA family, including the Forward Thinking Rehab Group, the Forward Thinking Events Group that highlights the events of the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance, and we have a Forward Thinking Chiropractic Students Group, and just for the women, the Forward Thinking Women's Chiropractic Group. So check those out at your leisure. Today's podcast is brought to you by our sponsors. Uh, China Gel is not only a sponsor and a supporter, but they are a part of our family, and uh, we love China Gel, and I think you'll love China Gel too, so be sure to check them out at chinagel.com. And make sure you check out the T-Tool. It is the Swiss Army Knife, the SUV, the top of the chain, the, the luxury IASTM tool. Uh, it's multidimensional. It has multiple uses. Uh, and you can check out the T-Tool at thetool.com. And then finally, you want to check out Neurocon from Parker Seminars. It's July 31st through August 1st. It's a digital neurology-based event for chiropractors. It's a two-day event designed for healthcare practitioners who will learn from and network with worldwide leaders in disorders of the nervous system. So check out Neurocon. Uh, You still have time to register because it's the end of July. Uh, Parkerseminars.com backslash Neurocon, N-E-U-R-O-C-O-N. Our guest today is Dr. Jason Young. I like what I'm doing lately. I'm having the guests write their own bios. Some people are fancy schmancy and already have some sort of bio pre-written for them, but when they don't, I want them to send me in their own little bio that they write so that I can read it on the air. And so I'm going to read Jason Young's bio uh, before we get to Dr. Young's uh, interview. Jason Young has been a chiropractor since 2008 and currently operates a solo practice in Corvallis, Oregon called Body of Health Chiropractic and Wellness Center. In the past, he was a member and president of the Oregon Board of Chiropractic Examiners, 2013 to 2019. Recently, he was elected as an at-large director of the National Board of Chiropractic Examiners. He is also one of the few black chiropractors in the profession today. He has a wife who everybody is trying to figure out why she married him, and they have four kids aged 10 to 16 who are going to change the world. And with that, I bring to you all one of the presenters at Forward. 2019 at Logan University. Dr. Jason Young, enjoy the interview. Welcome everybody to Forward, the podcast of the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. As I previously introduced, we are here with Dr. Jason Young. Dr. Young, please give us your disclaimer before we get started. Oh yeah, so here's my disclaimer. Everything that I say, regardless of whether it sounds good or bad, is my own opinion. It shouldn't be taken as like an authoritative statement for my business or any organization that I'm a part of. So 
if something goes wrong, just blame me. <laughs> they usually just blame me. <laughs> right. <laughs> just blame Bobby. Yeah, it's my fault. I brought you on here. Yeah. I have a I have some distinct advantages that I am well, I can't, I can't say that anymore. I'm part of organizations. There are organizations that I serve, as you know. You're an insider. Yeah, I have to that's probably how they neutralized me, right? They brought mm-hmm. me on the inside and made me part of boards and, that's and right. uh, nonprofit organizations and I have to watch what I say. That was pretty genius by whoever did that. Hey, we're playing chess, not checkers, my man. Yeah, I used to think I was a, a lone, I was a, a rogue. I'd gone rogue and I had no bosses and no one can control me in my mouth, but now it's different. You are the establishment. <laughs> what, um, what organizations do you not represent but serve on at the moment? <laughs> uh, well, currently, let's see, currently the only organization that anybody out there would have heard of <laughs> is uh, um, the National Board of Chiropractic Examiners. Um, I've been a member since April. So it's been the best two months of my life. And um, I think I know what I'm supposed to be doing. But it's actually been, so far, it's been really great. I have uh, had a lot of respect for the organization before. Now that I've gotten to uh, work with them a little bit more and... Uh, get my feet wet with it. I'm just extremely impressed with the with the organization. So it's good stuff. Don't you find it interesting that the the people who sort of criticize any organization in general that's serving our profession, whether it comes from the education side, the regulatory side, or the, I guess you could say, group advocacy side, like um, like a state associations and national associations, the ones that criticize it, really don't quite understand what's going on inside the organization or what work is going on? Yeah, you know, and I think that's, I think that's a lot of the case with when we criticize pretty much anything. A lot of our criticisms are born of misunderstanding. I think even when we look and we're critical of ourselves, I think that um, sometimes we just don't understand where we're coming from or what our situation is. But um, like, and, and the other thing too, is you look at the stakeholders and with an organization like the NBCE, for example, your stakeholders are students, obviously, because they got to take all the tests. Yeah. Uh, you have chiropractic colleges who feel like um, it's an organization that is critiquing their work or um, like making them teach this or making them teach that. Um, you have state boards who rely on uh, the organization to make sure that um, good, good doctors are coming into, uh, their systems and there's just, um, and so there's a lot of different people with different things on the line. And I think, uh, and you probably, I, I don't maybe had the same experience, uh, where when you think back to when you're a student and you had to take boards and there's just all the, the questions that are born out of the, the panic of student life. Like, you know, why do these cost so much? And why are you asking that question? And when am I ever going to use this? And, you know, and how come I've got to use a number two pencil? And, um, and I think that it's, it's really easy to feel put upon and not understand that um, a lot of those things are, are coming from people that are being really thoughtful, putting a lot into that, trying to make things, uh, make sure things are legal, fair, defensible, um, equitable. It's it's a board made up of doctors who uh, wore those shoes in terms of being a student, um, sometimes wore those shoes in terms of being educators. 
And so uh, one of the reasons I actually wanted to, to become a director was uh, whenever I would do these um, test committees where you'd make the questions and things like that, it was very eye-opening because I remember being on the other side of the fence and thinking as a student, okay, they're trying to like weed out the bad ones. They're trying to trick us. They're trying to, you know, throw some gotchas in there. Right. But it's actually exactly the opposite. Um, it's bring together content experts who are admins from the from uh, the chiropractic colleges. They bring together uh, practicing chiropractors, retired chiropractors. And so they're trying to really get the best content and they're trying to whittle the questions down to be as plain and fair as possible. And they're trying to only ask questions that would identify uh, good, reasonable, well-educated chiropractors. And so it's not an adversarial thing. And so that, that's re what really kind of was exciting to me and made me think, I want to be a part of this organization is because it really is a mission to help uh, chiropractors, chiropractic schools highlight the, the best things about the, the education and what they've done. So. And I noticed that about a national organization that I'm a member of uh, when I went to their annual meeting and, mm -hmm. and saw them, I went to the national meeting to speak and I saw them interact. And one of the reputations with this national organization is that the, the old dudes, the old dudes run the show and then the young people are kept out of any leadership positions. Mm -hmm. And when I actually talked to the people who run this national organization and figured out their, you know, who their stakeholders are, what kind of challenges they have when they, when they have to do the job that they have to do to get this thing done, you know, it takes 20 years to build the relationships and the networks and the communication in order to get things done in Washington, D.C. And I started sort of, sympathy is not the word, I started to understand their position. Like it's, right. it's hard if you're a, a first year graduate and then you're a member of the national organization and you want leadership, I, I think you have to be five years in to, to be a leader. Mm -hmm. You would never have the, the connection, the work base, the networking, the connections that these folks would have and the, the, the linear timeline of work that's already been done for each other. Mm -hmm. So it's really difficult just to give that up. And I think, the lesson here from this brief little conversation that we both had is if you are doubtful of one of these organizations as a chiropractor, go check them out. Mm -hmm. uh, visit, go to one of their meetings. <laughs> I mean, besides the, the chiropractic Illuminati, which I want to ask you a question about in a second, <laughs> all the other meetings are wide open for you to attend and you can participate as much as you'd like. Right. You right. can be part of any one of these things and you can even make it better. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and you know, with all these things, there's, uh, there's typically pretty well laid pathways to um, become leaders in these organizations. Yeah. Right. And so there's, uh, there's certain things uh, that, that they look for in terms of experience and background of members. And so it's accessible to people and, um, and yeah, I, I think, and, and it's really, really important. Um, I've said this before to FTCA folks, but uh, if you want to change the way that chiropractic is, or you want, if you have something that you feel strongly about, then you have to sit in the seats, right? So it's like musical yeah. chairs. You have to sit down in one of the chairs 
And um, you have to represent your position because if you're only letting people that disagree with you sit in those chairs, then guess what? They're, they're not ever going to have a reason to see things your way or do things your way. And so, um, and then at the same time, you can't be afraid when you are sitting across like a boardroom table or something like that. And there's a doctor who see things, sees things much differently than you do because um, I think at the, at the core level, everybody wants to do a good job. Everybody wants to make sure that we can take par- care of patients the way uh, that we think is, is going to be helpful to them. And so then if you can just kind of work from all the common ground, a lot of it, I mean, really great people. Like, I think that <laughs> like one of the things with whenever you start talking like evidence-based medicine and science and stuff like that, science. the thing that's funny about it is everybody thinks that science is on their side. Sure. Right? Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And absolutely. so it's just like, uh, if, uh, if you're telling a story and you want to have a happy ending, it all just depends upon when you stop the story. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> and so same thing with science, you know, there's some people, they, they can go and they could read stuff. And once they read what they've wanted to read, then they're done reading and boom, science. Right. Yeah. And so I, I think that that's one of the things that, that I'm really kind of coming around to is the fact that uh, nobody thinks, yeah, we're out there just buck and being crazy for no reason. Everybody thinks that they're rational, right? Oh yeah. So self-rationalize their rationality. Exactly right. And so it's, I think it's, uh, it's a skill that maybe you acquire with time to be able to navigate some of those conversations and, do something that ends up being useful for a lot of people, which is the goal. Yeah, that's the main goal. So back to the main topic at hand, the chiropractic Illuminati. So when does yes. the NBCE close everything off, have these special cartel meetings uh, where they're slaying goats and talking about how to destroy uh, the language of subluxation in practice? How often oh, is, this, is this a man. once a month thing? Is this a bi-monthly thing? Yeah, bro, I'm two happen? months in. And so uh, they would kick they me haven't, out. They haven't brought you, they haven't initiated stuff. you into that part yet? <laughs> they would kick me out if I told you all that. <laughs> no, and it's, and it's interesting because the organization really does strive to be transparent, um, especially like given some things historically that have happened. Um, it's just really in everybody's interest that, that things are transparent. But I guess, so I went for my uh, onboarding a month ago. And some of the things that I was always kind of nervous about, like you think about the cost of tests and, and you know, where they get their revenue from, which is student testing mostly, right? And right. then it's like, uh, but they, but I think that what a lot of people don't understand or appreciate is that within chiropractic, there's a few organizations that financially um, have a lot of power, right? So, um, so there's uh, chiropractic schools are generally dependent on donors and things like that. So it's not typically chiropractic schools, with the exception of one or two that have you know big outside revenue streams. But uh, NBCE, um, which is a, a private cor- uh, corporation, you got NCMIC maybe some other insurance uh, carriers and uh, they support a lot of the other big organizations, you know, like the uh, WFC and the ACA and the FCLB. And I could just, you know, keep playing alphabet soup. 
So it was, uh, it was really interesting to see how financially sound of an organization it is. They're incredibly fiscally responsible, which has allowed them to make moves that for the past few years, they've frozen the price on um, taking board exams for students, which is kind of unprecedented through the, the history of the organization. And uh, so I just think that there's been some really smart people that have been running the organization that have put it in a place where it really can help and support, promote the, the profession. And so that's just, it's really, really exciting to be a part of. I give you five bonus points for how you skirted your way around the Illuminati question. I don't care about your excuses. I know you know something. <laughs> I, haven't, in cheek, I, haven't, I haven't been asked to sacrifice any goats myself. <laughs> this is all tongue in cheek, folks, because we want to learn, move our way into this podcast in two subjects that I want to talk about. Specifically, one was humor in practice and two is ethics in practice and life. Yes. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to get a little humor at it. There are, there are some people in our profession that intonate that progress is a there's a cabal that is trying to push progress in some sort of conspiracy theory fashion on all of chiropractic in order to ruin their specific Hang on one second, Bobby. Just a second. I have to Google cabal. (laughs) Is that with a K or a C? It's a C, C C-A-B-A-L. All right, just be patient. A secret political clique or faction. Okay, go ahead. I nailed it, right? Like, Yeah, you got it. Okay. If I got anything, I got a vocabulary. (laughs) (laughs) um but that's not the it's obviously not the case that's obviously kind of silly and if anything it's a little bit of psychological projection and the people who are accusing other people of being in a cabal (laughs) uh are actually in their own cabal and they're just sort of deflecting onto other people but well man and i think that's just how our society works these days is um we we really really kind of hope that there are shadow organizations out there, that there's some sort of shadow government, that there's some sort of unseen, that Voldemort is out there somewhere. And that is the reason that we're unhappy, or that is the reason that we're not successful, or that is the reason that um, it's, it's worthless for me to step up and try and do something is because of some sort of unseen secret enemy that's just too powerful for me to overcome. And, uh, and I think it makes people feel good to think that um, it's not their fault, that it's the secret cabal. But uh, yeah. even if there is a secret society out there, uh, do enough so that you can expose them or like know who they are, or, you know, have them beat you outright rather than just like saying, well, it's the boogeyman. That's why I wet the bed. He's under my bed and I can't get out yeah. and pee in the middle of the night because you know, oh, can we? Is that FCC approved? Can I say P? You can say P. Yeah. Thing? Uh, no, no, I don't think they have any regulation of what we say at all. P P P P P P. Yeah. So. Yeah. And poo. Yeah. Poop. Yes. <laughs> no, there's a. So there's this. Uh, he's a legendary writer, author, and all that. Alexander Solzhenitsyn. That's a big, big Russian name. Uh, but he wrote a book called The Gulag Archipelago. I don't know if you've ever read it. Um, haven't. People say that all high school kids should be reading this book in America at this time, but no one's actually reading it or reading books in general. It's all TikTok. But one of his quotes was, (laughs) if only it were so simple, if only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and it were necessary only to separate us 
from them and then destroy them. But that line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every single human being. So there isn't like a good and an evil going on here. And I hope people start to realize that there isn't, there isn't even bad chiropractors and good, like, um, uh, ideologically bad and, and ideologically Okay. Thank you. Good. I was going to say, uh, there are, I mean, yes, there are bad chiropractors. <laughs> they get <Yeah>. handled. <laughs> yeah. They get dealt with by the boards usually mostly. Yeah. But, hopefully. Uh, I mean, ideologically bad when you're trying to divide people up into us versus them. And you know, even the FTCA in its, in its foundation, that was sort of what got people excited about the FTCA was there was a division there. Yeah. Um, but if we can get better, I can realize that's not the best way to go about it. I'm not right. You know, I'm not. Well, and I think it goes back to what I, I mentioned before, which is that everybody thinks that they're doing a good job or I think I will say that different. Everybody thinks that they're doing the job of good. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, not necessarily maybe that they're doing well or something like that, but I think that uh, you have, I think the way that you divide, define a bad chiropractor, like I'll tell you, when I first got my license, there was a guy um, that went to church with my sister-in-law and we went and visited her and he was a chiropractor and he's like, Oh, you know what? I hear that you just got done with chiropractic school. Um, I'm going to take you under my wing. I'm going to show you how to do this. He's like, I love being a chiropractor. And the thing that I love about it, he's like, I don't care about the people. I could care less about the people. I love the business. I love making money and you know, all this stuff. And I was like, Whoa, okay. And he just went on and on and he was like, screw the people. I love business. And you know, right away I knew, okay, this is a bad guy. And to validate my gut response, um, you know, you fast forward, 10 years and that guy had lost his license and it was, and he lost his license for doing every bad thing that you could think that a chiropractor could possibly do. And uh, yeah, so those, those are the bad guys, people who um, don't believe the same thing about what an adjustment does. Those aren't bad people. Those are people that are just trying to help people and they have a totally different way of seeing it um, or approaching it. So not saying that it's all good, but I think that when you look at people's motivations and where they're coming from, that's a common ground to build from. Yeah, I think we draw the line at what I really wanted to talk to you about today. We draw the line at ethics, right? Yep. And that the individual you talked about for who knows, like a decade could have operated as a quote unquote good chiropractor, even though he was a bad chiropractor based on the line of ethics. Mm-hmm. Um and we we just have this i almost I almost call it like a finger wagging culture like if you're not on my if you're not on my wavelength there's something wrong with you type of thing oh going on. well and we're experiencing that in spades right now aren't we yeah well yeah yeah, yeah. so it's uh <laughs> i mean all angles at this point yeah it's a dangerous time it's it's straight up dangerous and it's dangerous for everybody um, I don't know if people know this, but there has been an issue of race in our country. Whoa. Like, have you heard about this? Uh, I caught wind of it, but I'm not, I, I am actually, I don't know if you know this or not, but I'm Caucasian. What? So I gotta go. So there's a lot of nervousness about being able to even discuss these issues. Um, well, if you want to, uh, address them as a person of color, I would, I would enjoy having a conversation with you. Sure. So I'm brown, right? No, I'm I'm black, and it's kind of funny because 
I, I'll tell people I'm black and they'll be like, oh, you're African-American. No, I, I like black because I've never been to Africa. And, oh, that's a good uh, point. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and it's one syllable and it's, a, you know, what? actually my preferred term is, is Afro-American just because that sounds sweet, right? I'm thinking yeah. about ABA, Dr. J. Dr. J, I'm yeah. thinking it makes me feel like I could play better basketball, right? And that's just an introspective thing for me, right? But if I say Afro-American, everybody thinks I'm joking. But, so I go with black. And, um, you know, I, it's, and it's just, it's a crazy time because we're seeing pendulum swings. And it's also an exciting time, too, because, um I think that one of the issues with being black in the United States is actually really similar to, ironically, I think what brings a lot of people to chiropractic, which a lot of, you've probably had these patients that show up and they've been to their medical doctor and they've said, I got this problem, this problem, this problem, and whatever they do to try and fix it maybe doesn't address that problem. And so then they go to a chiropractor and it sounds really familiar to us because, you know, we deal with those kinds of problems. And so the big value that people get out of what we do isn't necessarily even the adjustment, but it's the fact that we believe them, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. I believe you that you're having chronic back pain and yeah. I don't think it's a psychological patient problem. centered. Yeah. You're on the patient side of things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so it's, it's got a lot of parallels to uh, what race has been in our country for years and years and years, because uh um, you know, black people have never stopped saying that, Hey guys, we don't feel like everything is equal here. And, and I, I'll also give the disclaimer that I don't speak for all black people. Cause I know that, I know that there's, uh, there's a spectrum there too, in terms of sure. how people feel like they've been affected. Um, and so, uh, that largely goes unbelieved or, um, like it gets categorized as, you know, black rage or whatever. And, um, and so it's kind of an exciting time because it's like for the first time that, that I can remember, uh, people are saying, Oh, look, we believe you. Right. Cause we can see this. And I think part of it's because uh, for the first time, there's a lot of people because of COVID-19 that are feeling like, they've been restricted, right? They yeah. can't go where they want to go. They can't do the things that they want to do. And so they, they feel kind of this oppression. I'm, and I'm not talking about some dark cabal that's oppressing people, but you, you just know what it's like to feel restricted, right? And also yeah. there's no sports to distract us. Can't go to a movie theater to get distracted. Um, I'm not trying to get political, but just uh, we don't have a president that is going to come out and try and say something to soothe us, Correct. which has been pretty much our national character uh, since the inception of the country, which is that we have somebody in office that will try and heal us and bring us together. And that just hasn't been the case. And so there's kind of, it's kind of this perfect storm for uh, fixing some of the things that, that have been a problem for some people in America one of the things I worry about is it's a pendulum swing. And so we've gone like really super far. Like we talked about like in our state of Oregon, the oldest sports rivalry over a hundred years is the civil war. And just this week they came out and said, we're not going to call it the civil war anymore. And right. so like, well, wait, what, what? And so I don't know. They didn't ask me about it. I was, yeah. I was okay with the, the number one, number one Oregon state fan. Yeah. Oregon I'm, state. Dumb. They didn't even I'm, ask I, you. 
I could be the biggest one. And so it's, uh, so it's things like that where some of them, and you know, in our great state of Oregon, there's a county that is saying, we're, we're not going to require people of color to wear masks because, you know, the, it like, it makes them look dangerous or, or whatever. And so oh, yeah, like, I read up quite a bit on this. So in, in, in this county, particularly there was, there were some, uh, and they were, I guess you, in your terms, they would, they'd be black Afro-Americans. I, I like that one too. They're Afro-Americans. Thanks Bobby. Yes. And there were a couple that there are, the county is disproportionately not Afro-American. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it doesn't feel good to say. That this is Oregon anyways, right? Yeah. So they're like 1% of the county is Afro-American. And uh, the, the, the county public health authorities figured they were doing everyone a favor <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> by making this rule. But they didn't include other people of color. They didn't include the large Latino population. Right. They didn't include the Pacific Islanders, where there's a considerable population in that county. It was right. just the Afro-Americans. And then there were a couple people when they were interviewed were like yeah i do feel nervous about wearing a mask that someone might think that i'm doing something bad yeah so they went through this but what it turned out to be is like that's actually worse it is one because of the health concerns yes but two because uh, the mask issue is very contentious right now yes and there are people that are yelling and screaming and almost getting violent with people who don't wear masks yeah so, yeah so now well, you're adding fuel to the racial I mean, fire can, you go out there on twitter yeah, it's, it's getting ugly. Well, getting attacked for not wearing a mask. It's getting ugly. Um, yeah, yeah, some people are losing, are getting, um, they're just getting, can I use the word shit bombed? They're getting yeah. shit bombed on their, uh, on their Yelps and things like that for not operating, operating with a mask inside their business. Yeah. Um, well, and so the thing about it is. They that, repealed that, by the way, that county mandate, they repealed it. They're like. Good. Oh, yeah. We, and we overdid and that. So, and the thing is. I get it. You know, that's a well-intentioned thing. Yeah, They're trying yeah, to course. listen. They're trying to believe. But at the same time, it's like, we don't always know the right thing to do. Right. right. Yeah. And, um, and I get that. And I think that one of the things that everybody needs to do is kind of be patient with that as people figure out what, what's the right thing to do. And in figuring out what's the right thing to do, a lot of times you're going to find people who do the wrong thing. And I think that it's important not to crucify those people for yeah. doing the wrong thing, you know? Um, so like one of the things that I've discovered actually in all this, actually two big epiphanies that have come. Um, one of them is that uh, I have, I have found out just a lot of this through like social media interaction or things that people have said to me just because of everything that's going on. I found out that I have friends who are racist. And they don't see black people as equals. They don't see black people as, you know, worthy of, of the level oh, wow. of respect. Yeah, that's, friends ra- with that's racism, they, right? Yeah, that's racism. That? They're not ignorant. That's racist. Right. And yeah. yeah, exactly. And so what they, when they look at me, they see me as exceptional, right? It's like, oh, you're like, you're, you're not one of them, right? Oh, interesting. So, yeah. But the fact that there is a them, <laughs> is the thing that is like oh okay well that's that's racism right and so yeah. that's really been conflicting for me because a lot of people say that oh i have black friends right and that doesn't mean anything it doesn't mean that you're not a racist right because it means that you found some people that you feel like are exceptional and so that's been difficult for me because these some of these people are people that i really like you know and 
and I value in, in other aspects. And so I've had to decide, you know, is a racist a person? And, and I don't think that it is. I think that racism is something that exists in a person. And I don't think that it's all somebody is. And yeah. so racism is like skin color, right? You can have skin color and you could have racism and um, it's not all that you are. And so yeah. I've had to kind of evaluate some of these friendships and think, okay, so besides like just, hey, we could have a good conversation. What am I getting out of this? And like, how, how close do I need to be to this person? So it's kind of made me sad and it's been a big epiphany at the same time. Would you say this, the, the things that have happened have sort of uh, awoken you to your own blackness? Well, and that's, and that's had your own that sort of kind of up. like a, like a privilege of your own. That you Absolutely. Can... And that's the other thing that I want to bring up because, you know, we talk a lot about uh, white privilege and white privilege. It, it really rubs some people the wrong way that term. But the thing about white privilege is it's just one type of privilege that you can have. And sure. Um, sure. it doesn't make anybody a bad person and nobody chooses to have white privilege. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, I didn't get you to pick how I was if born. you don't have it. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't. Well, here's the thing about it. So there was a feminist that wrote out these rules of white privilege, and I don't remember her name, and I don't remember the book she wrote, but it's what she wrote is the sort of the standard bearer of, of universities that teach things about white privilege. And she had like 13 or 17 things that you must have to qualify as white privilege. The thing mm -hmm. was, a lot of them were like, you are the majority group. Or if you went out to listen to music, your music would be the majority music that was listened to. Or if you... Mm -hmm. Uh, if you had any expectations of what to culturally expect, it would be your culture. So you're privileged. Well, the mm -hmm. irony to that is if we were in a different country, yes, it, it's more cultural than it is racial. It's like absolutely the, the privileges are different depending on where you go. Absolutely. Like if we were in some place that was like, say we were in the middle East or we were in Abu Dhabi. Oh, oh Bobby, I've got the Abu example. Dhabi privilege, you know, man, I got the example. I got a sister who lives in Hong Kong. Oh, okay. Right? There you go. She's the same complexion as me. She, she lives in Hong Kong. Um, and as an expat, she has better rights than people who were born in Hong Kong. Her, her maid, she, first of all, she has a maid. Her maid is from Hong Kong. Her cook is from Hong Kong. Her driver from Hong Kong. If she calls the cops, the cops are going to come, or sorry, if somebody called the cops on her, the cops would probably come and arrest that person from Hong Kong before they would arrest her. Huh. She's the same complexion as I am. And so she didn't choose any of that. She's a great person. She's really nice to everybody, but she has privilege from being an expat. Interesting. Right? Yeah. And I have privilege based on the fact that I was born into a family where my parents were married and happily married my whole life. Uh, there was no abuse. Um, my dad always had a job. And these are not things that I earned or that I did for myself. Yeah. You know, that's my, that's my privilege. And so I don't think that anybody's bad for having privilege. I think that it's what do you choose to do with those privileges? Yeah. And, and that's really been the other epiphany for me in all this is that I think that some of the privileges that I have, especially within the profession, um, because I've, I've risen through some ranks of leadership and um, I've, so I've probably got some leadership ability, but a lot of those things, it's because of who I was associated with and who I had the opportunity to be exposed to. And I didn't choose that. And so like, I've looked at the statistics on, um, you know, black chiropractors and minority chiropractors. And I've always felt like, oh, this is low. Like 
well, there should be more of us. There should be 13% sure. of us should be, should be black. Sure. And so my epiphany through what this. What is the percentage? I don't want to inter, 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 Oh yeah, go more, ahead. But what is the, do you know what the percentage is of how many black chiropractors well, there are? The NBCE just uh, finished the, um, the job description or the analysis of the profession. I believe it's around uh -huh. 3% right now, which yeah. if you look at, you know, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, it's, that's double what it was. So it's definitely growing. Can we but, conflate um, that with a lack of inclusion or do you, because let's be honest here, the bar for entry into the chiropractic profession is pretty damn low. Yeah, it's low. Like yeah. Anybody who wants to be a chiropractor who meets the, the entry guidelines can become a chiropractor. So why, so then it, it's more like, why aren't African-Americans, Afro-Americans choosing to become chiropractors? It's not like anyone's keeping yes. them out. And that's, and that's a great question. And it's something that not enough people have looked at as to what are the whys of it. And it's important because uh, there is good research out there that shows that people want uh, healthcare providers who look like them. Sure. Or who they can identify with. And so there's definitely, definitely a need and a place for minority chiropractors. There's a need and a place for more women chiropractors for that same reason. Yep. Um, it's odd that the majority of chiropractic patients are women. The majority of chiropractic providers are men. That's very yep. strange to me. Um, but I, I looked at this, this number, this 3% number, and, and I thought, like, I just, like, it was like a bell ring, and I thought, well, who's going to fix this? White people aren't going to fix this. White people aren't going to look and say, oh, there's too many of us. We need more black chiropractors. Like that's, that's probably something that black chiropractors need to be into. And then I thought, well, who is better positioned in the, uh, in the profession to help black chiropractors than I am right now? And, yeah. and, and so for me, like it was kind of a feeling of shame that I have not done more to help black chiropractors succeed. And uh, that is from the standpoint of learning to accumulate wealth, learning to navigate some of these roads that help you to get into some of these leadership positions, um, and learning to become integrated into some of these other um, societies and systems. Like you don't get a lot of uh, black chiropractors who are on the big speaking tours, speaking at like Parker and things like that. Um, and so I, I, I hadn't even been a member of the American Black Chiropractic Association. Zero excuse not to be. Yeah, right? I was going to ask you about that next, but you're, yeah. you're answering all my questions before I have to, which is a great interview. I really appreciate this. <laughs> well, you're a great interviewer. So yeah, so I joined. And, um, and when I joined, I contacted the president and I apologized. I said, you know what? This is like, I feel like I've wasted so much time because I, I have so much that I probably could have been offering all along that I haven't been. And so that is, uh, that's been maybe the biggest epiphany for me out of all this. And the, the course correction I'm making is that I want to help black chiropractors. I want to help minority chiropractors to be successful. Now I'm not super rich. I'm not even a little bit rich, but, um, I, I have a practice that I really love that I feel like is successful. Um, I've had opportunities and, and I can help, I can help. And so yeah. I should be, and not just saying, Hmm, I wonder when somebody's going to come fix this for us. You know, what does helping look like to you? Is it making place for more, making a space for other people to succeed? Is it, um, um, uh, 
reaching out and being a mentor? Is it what you see going on with this pendulum swing now where there's a lot of allies and advocates, but they're, they're really not like taking action. Like I don't see a lot of action. I see a lot of words. Yes. There's tons of rhetoric, which I don't think is all bad. And I think it's going to inspire some people to take action eventually. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Um, and I, and I think that one of the things that's kind of different about this time is that like you look back at civil rights marches and it was Martin Luther King and a bunch of black people and a few white people and they were out there going and fighting for rights. You look around the world right now, first of all, you're looking around the world and you're seeing um, people who, who are raising their voices and you look at these marches and these things and it's not a bunch of black people, it's a bunch of white people. Yeah. And so that's new. And, and that's one thing that's kind of exciting about this. But as far as the, the actions, like going back to what I said before, um, I don't know that we know all the right things to do yet. And so yeah. for me, like right now, I'm still trying to learn what are all the right things that I'm supposed to be doing to help. And so I reached out to Quentin Briscoe, who is, uh, he's the, well, pretty soon the immediate past president of the American Black Chiropractic Association. Uh -huh. I told him what I just told you, which is that like, I'm ashamed that I haven't been in the game up to this point. I joined the ABCA. I've been trying to be active in like the forums and things like that. I found that I recognize very few of the names of the people, people right. who are really successful. I've discovered that there are, um, that there are chiropractic coaches who are black who are focused on black chiropractors. I didn't even know that existed. And so this is, this is like a whole world that I'm just kind of yeah. opening up to a and whole different world. realizing there's been stuff going on that I, I just haven't known about. And yeah, they've had their 39th annual convention. They've had yeah, like right? almost 40 years of conventions. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I remember when I was a chiropractic student, uh, Dr. Brimhall at uh, University of Western States, he got, in, he got uh, invited to speak the American Black Chiropractic Association conference. And uh, there was no chapter at UWSM because there was, I think, two of us, maybe three of us. Yeah. And so um, he, he's like, you know, I don't know what they want me to say. So do you want to come with me? And do you want to speak? So I said, sure. Because I think that year was supposed to be a cruise or something like that. <laughs> it ended up getting canceled, unfortunately. But um, that, was all the, that was all the exposure I had had. And it wasn't their fault. It was my fault for not jumping in. Yeah. I've so, checked out their website and their Facebook. They're tremendously well-organized. Yes. Um, tremendously passionate and uh, caring for each other. Yes. Uh, I was actually quite impressed. So I've asked, um, I sent out, a, and I, you maybe you can connect me with somebody. I sent out uh, an email to get the president on the podcast as well. Oh, Quentin, yeah. He's a great guy. You know, actually, so when I was uh, up for election for this NBCE seat, Quentin was, was also um, running for, for that same spot. And so uh, I reached out to him and I said, look. I'm going to beat you, but. Yeah, yeah but I want to help you. So <laughs> these, are, these are the things, <laughs> these are the things that um, you need to add to your resume that, that will put you in the position to get on that board. Great. Um, and so, and I think that that's a lot of the things where it's like, uh, um if, if you're going to be a black chiropractor and you're going to be in leadership, it's because you are, I'm making air quotes that you can't see, exceptional, right? Yeah, you, remember, yeah. you remember when I used that before. Yeah. 
right? It was in talking with my racist friends who see me as exceptional right. or other. And so that's what it needs to be is not just that like, hey, we're, we're saving these seats for black people because affirmative action was yeah, I helpful. I don't know how to answer that, ask that question. Like, do you ever feel like you're quote unquote a token? Oh, I've been a token. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, like this is, uh, I live in a white community. So yeah. uh, most of the people I go to church with are white. And so it's like, I've, I've been a token, right? Yeah. And so I've had that experience and, and it's difficult because, you know, especially affirmative action and, and things like that, where it's like, Hey, we're going to save this seat for you because you're black. It's, it feels so artificial. Right. And it is artificial. And so what ultimately should happen is that those seats are being taken by people of color, women, everything else, because we're looking at getting the best people in, excuse me, getting the best people in there for the job. I just burped on your podcast. <laughs> we also <laughs> said the best people poop. in there for the job yeah. and not, hey, we want to balance this out. I mean, it's fine to retrospectively look back and say, hey, are we pretty homogenous? And if so, like, is this because we have some sort of a blind spot? Are we doing something wrong that we're not getting the right people in? Yeah. Because there's tons of potential in these minority populations of doctors. Like there's some amazing oh, absolutely. women chiropractors out there. There's some amazing black chiropractors out there. And they're, and they're people that are great, but they're not exceptional, right? There's, it's, it's not like there's just one or two that you could pick out. There's one or 200 or one yeah. or 2000. Right. And these are people who they need to see like a role model of this is how you get to that spot. I, I don't know. So stage. What, no, I know whatever that doesn't want to help the, uh, uh, is it the American college? The, what is the, is it the black college of American? I forget the, the acronyms. It's the American the, black chiropractic association. Yeah. That one. So I know one of their, uh, sort of like complaints or one of the things they're trying to bring attention to, as you mentioned, is there are not enough black speakers on the speaking quote unquote circuit, right? Yes. And, and I thought about that because quite honestly, I think if I looked at, I think you are the only African-American speaker that we have had at this point in the mm -hmm. FTCA. Let is me get it, you some more. Yeah, that, no, totally. So my, yeah. my point is I, so I have, I'll have 12 slots, right? I, I need mm -hmm. 12 speakers for an event. This is my point of view. Mm -hmm. I need 12 speakers for an event. I will take the 12 best regardless of anything. Give right. me the 12 best speakers possible. And if it was all Afro-Americans, it's going to be all Afro-Americans. If it's all women, it's going to be all women. Yeah. I don't care as long as I get the 12 best. That's my point of view. But right. I know one thing I cannot do, Jason. I cannot have 12 white males as my speakers. Hmm or I will get blasted. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that is true. But, but just like you said, there's, all, there's this whole world of great speakers that I didn't know about. Show me the speakers. Yeah. I want to see them. I want to know what they, yeah. what they talk about. Well, I'm going to find them for you. Yeah. Because I've been, I've been checking I'm down out. for making this party as big as it can possibly get, regardless yeah. of any of that stuff. Um, yeah. I've definitely I, put I've a lot been, of thought I've, into it. I've been looking through, like, and trying to get to know some of these uh, some of these doctors and, and I'm just really impressed. It's like I said, it's a whole new world that I didn't even know was out there. Do you think it's also it, sort of like a West coast South thing? Absolutely. Like we're over here yeah. on the West coast and we're oh, not absolutely. As... Yeah. So um, like in Oregon, I think that there's only 
three or so black chiropractors that I know of. Um, and so it's not really a hot spot. And I think that's one of the reasons I've been so separated from it, but you get down to Texas, Georgia. Um, and well, and that's the other thing too, is like, you look at the schools that, that are in these parts of, of the country too. And yeah. so you will find, uh, in terms of the philosophy spectrums, you're going to find that you're going to get a lot of black chiropractors at, from this school or from that school. Sure. And so I think that's another reason is like, you know, there's kind of these social circles that are associated with schools and their affiliations, but, sure. um, and, and Isn't I think cultural too, because I've read that uh, in undergraduate school, a lot of African Americans will, or black students will not pursue STEM. Not that they're locked out. Like some people accuse, accuse colleges of sort of racially locking them out of STEM programs, but that actually, that the black students will actually not choose STEM related programs to the percentage that other populations would. Mm -hmm. So is it, is it also likely that when, when black people choose which chiropractic college they're going to go to, the students will choose the ones that are more philosophically uh, based versus scientifically based. So that's, don't a really know. I'm, that's a conjecture on my part. Cause we don't know. Nobody knows, but. Uh, it, and it is. And to some degree that that's exactly how it works. Um, and some of it's cultural. I know Sherman at one point had more black chiropractic students than any other school. So why was that? Well, the reason was because Sherman had a black chiropractic president. Yeah. And so, right. uh, -huh. uh, so he was there and he looked around and he was like, well, where's all the black students around that time, Georgia, or sorry, um, uh, it was life university had lost their accreditation. And so he went and he got a bunch of those students and said, you know, come to Sherman. And so then, you know, there's these, there's these groups and especially like when you're, when you're coming from the South or the East coast where um, racial integration, I think is a, is a much touchier thing than, than it is here in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, you, you uh, would do well sometimes to uh, be surrounded by people who like, look similar to you and, and things like that just because of the long history and tradition. So I, Are like, as I'm that saying that, really <laughs> xenophobia is normalized in yeah. America. Yeah. And, and that's what it is. And, <laughs> and so there's, and there's some places where that's just how you stay safe and that's yeah, totally. how you succeed. Dude, yeah. Yeah. So I totally get that. My goal, my goal, I think uh, is to help, those great leaders, those great doctors that, that are in that organization to bridge the gap so that they're on more of the state licensing boards. They're um, in the upper levels of leadership of the, um, the associations and the organizations in chiropractic um, because we need them, right? We, we yeah. want the best people and it doesn't matter the best. Um, yep. The best, no matter what, just like you said, just like you said. So I'm going to find you some of those people because yeah, I've been do. listening and there's some people where I'm like, Woo, okay, this is good stuff. Well, look, this evidence-based chiropractic thing that we're trying to do, um, is pretty damn boring. Like 
a lot of these speakers are great, but some of them you're just like, please just give me a pillow and some NyQuil and let me get through this hour. Oh yeah. See, they give uh, me some compelling people that can oh, talk about the, the issue at hand and keep people in their seats and engaged and excited for sure. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I've really been enjoying it. And so, and you know, one of the things that I started doing, I have never um, been really open to having like observers and stuff like that. I, it's always really uncomfortable because I feel like I have to entertain the person and it's yeah. like messing with my flow and everything, <laughs> you know how it is. So one of the things that I decided was, you know what, that's incredibly selfish and it's not right because there's chiropractors who did that for me yeah. and made me into the doctor that I am. Uh, one of my mentors passed away in March and uh, this guy, he's the one who taught me that it's okay to have fun with patients. And, um, and so I got to think and I'm like, why am I not doing that for, for other young chiropractors or even old chiropractors? Why am I not doing that for more black chiropractors? University of Western States has more black students than they've ever had. And so why, why am I not more connected with them? And the answer is selfishness. It's, it's really about my comfort and, um, yeah. and, and that's, that's not okay because then I become part of the problem. So I'm not perfect and I need to grow and progress. And I think um, everybody, this is all like kind of like bumper bowling, right? You just, mm -hmm. you know, you want the ball to get there. You want the ball to get to the pins, right? But, we're not that skilled at any of this, even if it's been, uh, you know, however many years since 1619, I'm short on math right now. Mm -hmm. How many years it's been since twenty years. the 60s? How many years has it been since the Emancipation Proclamation? Like we're not all there yet, mm -hmm. but we've got to admit we've been, we're better than we've been. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And you know, you know I, I don't think that there's any way that you can look at America right now and say that this is not the best and it's, that it's ever been for black people. Some right? of this shit is unacceptable still. Absolutely. It's bumper bowling. We're going to kind of right. bump the edges as we get there. But as right. long as we're all sort of committed to the fact, and this is my problem right now with the current events is current events are sort of broken down by um, uh, personality type or identity type. Mm -hmm. You know, like if I'm, if I'm black, I have this problem. <clears throat> if I'm of a different LBGTQIA, I might get all the acronyms wrong, but if, I, if LBG, L, LBGTQIA, I think that's right. And then there's a plus. Yeah. Just any, um, anything in the alphabet. Like anything in the identities sphere, uh, sphere alone, like it divides you. Yes. So we're not, we're not all pushing the ball towards the same goal. So some people have been disillusioned that America, the, the flag, the red, white, and blue doesn't serve them anymore. Mm -hmm. But if we can all say that uh, we, we, we all do have to go there together, but if we don't go there together, we're in big trouble, but we, we're not all going to be going there together perfectly at the same speed, but we are getting there. And that's sort of the democratic process. That's politics. That's why we have committees. That's why we have inclusion and mm -hmm. rules and ethics. And if we can guide ourselves by these ethics and we can be sort of, um, I guess, open-minded to the fact mm -hmm. that we're all just growing together, I think we'll mm -hmm. get there i don't think there's a promised land though so my issue with the quote-unquote social justice warriors is that they they tend to think that there's a promised land where there will never be racism that there will be complete inclusion and that there will be never any biases in the world ever again oh and and here's a and i think you are totally spot on and here's the other thing that's uncomfortable to talk about 
is that um, for some of these people, if they do their job well, they're out of a job. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So, and it's like, it's like the model, like with chiropractic, some people are like, mostly politicians, well, you know? <laughs> are, are you just leaving a little bit behind so that you always have something to do, you know? Yeah. And I always tell people no, because I'm supremely confident in your ability to go out there and mess yourself mess up. Yourself so up I know <laughs> there will always be more for me to do. Right. Right. But or a family um, member. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's, but it's, I don't know. I, I think one of the things that we also have to appreciate too, with anything is that kind of built into our, our lizard brain, our survival DNA is that in order to make uh, decisions and survive, we are hardwired to generalize Yeah. because uh, like, have you seen those videos where people will put a cucumber down next to a cat and the cat will like jump out of its skin? Yeah, it's 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 more advantageous evolutionarily speaking to mistake a bear to mistake a rock for a bear. Yes. versus a bear for a rock. Right. And who cares how the bear or the rock feels, right? Exactly. <laughs> Evolution doesn't care about that. No. And so, I mean, and that's the thing too is with this, we're always kind of fighting our nature. And uh but that is the beauty of humanity is that we get to we get to transcend our nature and we get to always evolve and become something better. And one of the, one of the biggest shames is that, um, that we feel so good about and so eager to shame other people as yeah. they change and as they yeah. evolve. And like a lot of times when we call somebody a hypocrite, it's because we're catching somebody who's like in the midst of some sort of, like improvement or when we look at somebody and they're like, well, you know, I have a question about this and this and this, and we see their question as an attack rather yeah. than like a genuine attempt to become something better. And we just, we feel good because we can kick or beat somebody and, and uh, somehow that makes us feel better about ourselves, but we have to stop expecting people to be a hundred percent consistent 100 percent perfect because everybody's growing and getting better i i know i'm probably never going to get there not in this lifetime at least <laughs> um but uh yeah i think it's just important that we're able to love each other be patient with each other take care of each other that's i mean that's why i got into this profession to begin with like i was actually a business student and i knew i wanted to have a business i didn't know what kind of business i wanted but I knew that I wanted to have a business where I was helping people, where I could take care of people. I thought becoming a chiropractor would be easy. I was wrong, but yeah. it was a good fit for me. <laughs> and so, um, and that's the thing. And I got into my practice and I thought at first, yeah, I want to have a high volume practice. I want to treat a lot of people um, and make a lot of money, be really busy because if I can see more people, that's going to let me know that I'm being successful and I'm helping a lot of people. And and I learned early on that I wanted a medium-sized practice because I wanted to be able to take time to sit and listen to people and like laugh with people and joke with people and have a good time. Um, and that, that was going to be as valuable as anything that I would do with my hands. And so I think that if people would just like let people learn, let people improve, let people progress, and not be in such a hurry to embarrass all the Karens and yeah. 
you it's know. It's a finger wagging society we've got going on here. There's a lot yes, of finger yes. wagging going on and it's more of like a, I need to put you down to show everyone how much smarter I am. Right, right. It's kind of and, taken some political lines there too, but there's a lot of finger wagging going on and um, yeah, that's and what I noticed the most. all the teeth. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't, I don't have much appetite for it right now because just like you said, I think everyone's on a different pers- uh, uh, line of their, their progress chart is a little, some people yeah. move along the progress chart a little slower and mm-hmm. some move along a lot faster. And I think we can do better saying um, educating or hoping to educate or at least offering some material to help somebody along. Yeah. Maybe discuss different point of views, but a lot of nuance isn't real. And, and it's even worse on our side, the evidence-based side of chiropractic, because mm-hmm. we all argue with ourselves more than the other quote unquote side of chiropractic argues with us. Like we tear each other apart more than they tear us apart and vice versa. Oh, heck yes. Like arguing about the evidence here and there. And it's a lot of finger wagging of everyone's trying to win an internet prize that doesn't exist for smartest <laughs> internet person who can copy and paste research articles out of context you know and it's all minutia right yeah yeah because on a long enough scale you me uh and anybody else that's talking and the the most outrageous sort of vitalistic chiropractor like 95 percent of the time we agree yeah i draw that line on ethics my friend i draw the line at ethics Absolutely. As you know, in, in our state of Oregon, the board has a peer review committee mm-hmm. and every, any type of chiropractor can be on that peer review committee and we have to discuss things. I know. I, I tricked our board into putting you on. <laughs> but you, if, if uh, pe- people know what I believe in, um, more or less, the people who know me know what I believe in, and they would be really, I think, impressed on how I am totally accepting of other people's point of view on that committee because that's the right thing to do ethically it's what's mandated in the law uh, i don't push my personal agendas on of evidence-based chiropractic on this whole world because people have different perspectives and you know what someone in southern oregon might need a different kind of care than we provide in portland oregon mm-hmm. have different access issues they might have different belief issues they might have different cultural issues and so you have to be mindful of all those different things when you're, when you're saying what is the right care to offer to somebody. I draw the line at what the board and the state and the people of Oregon draw as inappropriate. And that's all I can measure myself on. And that is exactly why um, I recommended you to be on that peer review committee. And, you know, there are some worries because people are like, ah, well, he's got this organization. He's and, got this know. mouth on him. Yeah. And so I, I think that he's offended people before. And one of the reasons I always felt good about having you on there. And one of the reasons I pushed for it was because I know that that's how you are, that you care that, well, when you're on, when you're on a, um, like a public commission like that, or a, a state licensing board, your stakeholder, the people that you, the people that you work for are not the profession. You work for the people. Right. That, that live in the, in the communities and in the state. And um, sometimes that's incredibly frustrating because uh, you get chiropractors on there and everybody loves chiropractic, right? And we know what it can do and we know how valuable it is. Right. But you represent the people that chiropractors work on. And so, um, and the reason that I think that somebody like you is perfect for that is because uh, you're able to see those lines and you're able to put on that hat and, see the world from somebody else's perspective, which, which is really, really valuable. 
It's leaving that's the one biases of the reasons, at the doorstep. You leave them at the doorstep. Exactly. And you exactly. have to do that in practice too. You have to leave that stuff at the doorstep. Uh, probably learn that more from my military background yeah. than anything else. Yeah. It's like the, the person you're serving is the person you're serving, uh, regardless yeah. of anything else. Um, that comes first. It is. It's a hat you put on. Yep. And it's, and it's so important. And I think that's what makes great doctors, right? Uh, yeah. Even bad people deserve healthcare. Um, and so, yeah, uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah. And so it's, uh, it's the ability to just see people as people, um, you know, and I think the one thing that's underappreciated is the fact that um, any one of us can get a complaint against them to their board at any time for any sure. reason. Yeah. Like I had, uh, we, I think one of the funniest cases that we ever had was there was a lady who filed a complaint against a doctor who was, had just moved to Oregon and opened a really small office with like old used equipment and stuff. And, um, (laughs) I think he had just gone through a divorce or something. I can't remember. And she thought that his furniture was shabby and, um, his license didn't look real. And so she didn't think that he was actually a licensed chiropractor. And so she reported him to the board. So that guy didn't do anything wrong. Right. And so you could get reported for stuff like that. And, and I think that few people understand how stressful it is to be accused and you can literally be accused of anything. And so I think that when we look at, the finger wagging culture, as you said, and the accusations against people that it's just really important to um, kind of let those things play out sometimes because we don't always know, like, did somebody do something bad or like, what's the whole story with that? Like, and, and, and there's also the fact that um, people, uh, mental health is, is a legit thing, right? For everybody. Yes. All people. Yeah, there's people that have bad days. There's people that have mental illness. Some of those people are chiropractors. Yeah. And um, uh, I think some of the most inspiring stuff I got to deal with whenever I was on the board was people who had substance abuse problems, who subsequently got their lives together. And there's, there's a faction of people out there that are like, throw those guys out, like put them in the garbage heap. Um, we don't want them. We don't need them. But they're people first, they're people before they're chiropractors. And sometimes they have problems. And when those guys come back, and those ladies come back, and they're able to re-enter and they come in it with more vigor and more passion and more perspective, they come back and it's really, really powerful. And so um, like, we're always looking at what somebody is becoming. We're never looking at what they are. And so we just, I think really with people, you have to be patient with that process. Sometimes it means that you got to step away from them for a while um, because you just don't want to witness the bumpy part of their journey. Right. But, um, but it's okay to let people evolve and change and become better. Yeah, um, this, this, like our whole conversation has gone back to that Solzhenitsyn quote. It's like, if it were only so simple to just get rid of bad people mm-hmm. and separate them and destroy them, we'd be great. But that's not how humanity works. Yeah. You know, there's good and evil inside of all of us. And each and every one of us has the capability to be evil at any point in time, whether you want to believe that or not. The responsibility you have is to not be evil, to choose to not be evil and do good things. 
or not be ignorant. That would be a great start too. <laughs> Wait, that can I just great choose start. not to be ignorant? <laughs> I think you can choose to not be ignorant, but you have to, just like you, you said, you have to be, you have to have a period where you wake up, whether it's you uh, having to embrace uh, race issues that have come up in the news and, and reflect on them in your own life, whether it's the chiropractor that got like three DUI, three DUIs would probably be exclusionary. So they got a DUI, you know, and they had to wake th themselves up and then mm -hmm. become better people. Uh, whether it's someone who thinks they're a good person and then uh, you check yourself in the mirror and go, oh, well, I'm not that great. I'm great for myself. I'm not great for other people. I should be great for other people. Or I'm great for 10 years ago. I'm not great yeah. for today. Yeah. What I did 10 years ago was great. You know, mm -hmm. I, I served in a soup kitchen 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, that, that's not enough social credit points to get you by or yeah. you're great online with all your posting, but we never see you out in the community doing anything like picking up trash or planting trees or anything, but you sure do say a lot online. There's room yep. for that person to grow too, but they do, they need, they do need to be called out, I guess. Yes. Well, and that's, and that's also helpful for how people change. And so, and you know, and situations change too. And it's just, I think it's about making sure that your focus is on um, the right thing for the right time, being pliable. Um, because I, I mean, I even look at my practice and I think sometimes, oh man, I should be a millionaire by now. And, <laughs> uh, and I look back and I think, well, why, you know, why am I not? You are, well, you just paid $900,000 in taxes. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's what it is. But I mean, and so even sometimes in my career, I look back and there's times when I've took, taken significant chunks of my energy and I haven't had it on my practice. I've had it on my family. And so, um, and so sometimes that's not why I'm ahead. There's other times when I look and I look at that energy that I should have put on my practice and I was actually putting that energy into my insecurities and my fear. Yeah. Right. And so then I would sabotage things because that's where my focus was. And so then we get moments too, where we're able to kind of focus all that on the things that we need. And like right now I'm trying to get mine focused like on my practice on this, on this new uh, NBCE thing um, on black chiropractors, on my family, on your podcast, on, um, is there ever going to be sports again? Right. And so <laughs> we, we spread ourselves too thin sometimes, but, um, you know, just really focusing on where that energy is and, and not kind of giving ourselves permission to just be comfortable and ignorant and afraid. And, uh, I think that's one, been one of the beautiful things about this whole COVID thing is it's really kind of called BS on all the things in our lives where we're like, oh man, if I just had more time, then I would write that book. Or if I just yeah. had more time, then I would get this aspect of my life organized. Well, guess what? Life gave you a whole bunch of time and you still didn't get that done. You probably didn't get it done because of your fears and insecurities rather than because you didn't actually have time. Yeah, it's on, it's on you for sure. So I'm hoping that's one of the big things that the world gets out of this is that people get a chance to see, oh, these are the real things in, in my life yeah. rather than, you know, the, the stuff that, that I put on or put out there just to, to make myself feel comfortable and not afraid. Well, I, I you know, I, I have this, I, I guess you can call it a stage, you know, I have the events and the podcast and mm -hmm. all this stuff. And 
by being what I guess you can call an influencer, being the Kim Kardashian of chiropractic that I am. It's like, it's, and that's all based on looks. It's right? just based on my booty. Uh, <laughs> it's like, uh, I have a choice of who gets the stage and who doesn't. And some of the people are kind of grandfathered in because they're legends. And some people you kind of have to vet out, but you've been a no brainer. I, I think you are exceptional as a human being, not as an Afro-American. <laughs> we got to clarify that these days. I think you're exceptional as a human being, and I wanted you on that stage because you're exceptional as a human being. Oh, I appreciate I, that. I wasn't quite, and this is a thing that you could probably agree with, even for all the exceptional things you've done, I didn't really think you realized how exceptional you are, and this moment might have granted you that opportunity to just really kickstart that into some sort of specific direction. Well, you know, I feel very average, Bobby. Um, You're my favorite so... token black guy. <laughs> <in the> <laughs> yeah. Oh, and a thought popped into my mind. Don't use Afro-American after this podcast. I know, I know, I, I know, man. I'm going to give that advice not... to your listeners too, because uh, that's just my personal thing. Hey, well, we white guys get it so rough. I mean, no one... The, the middle-aged white man is like the number one enemy. I'm not a dummy, you know, like yeah. I remember my first Dangerous ever group. cassette. My first ever cassette was the cars. Oh yes. <laughs> the cars greatest hits. And then I got introduced to Michael Jackson mm -hmm. and all my friends were breakdancing and they could all breakdance. Like it was no big deal. And I thought pretty young thing was a breakdancing song, you know, cause it was kind of robotic sounding Please and I tell had me a cardboard in the garage and I went over to a, my parents took me over to this other kid's house and, and I was like, Oh, check out this Michael Jackson. And he's like, that's nothing. Check this out. The beastie boys. And yes. I was like, Oh, the beastie boys still uh, white culture, white, white people absconding with African American culture. But I noticed that little logo on the cassette, Def Jam, mm -hmm. the Def Jam label. And, and I'm a completionist. So I had to, I had to hear all of the artists on the Def Jam label. Mm-hmm. Um, Eric B and Rakim, I think were Def Jam. Oh uh, yes. LL Cool Thinking J. Thinking of a master plan, right? Yeah. LL Cool J, uh, and then public enemy. And then when I got to yes. public enemy, I got an education. Yeah. <laughs> and from yeah. then on, and we're talking about a little 10 year old kid or whatever. From and then on, hope, was, I'm hoping you got the education from Chuck D and not from Flavor Flav. I, yeah. Flavor Flav was not my mentor. He was the, he was the entertainment. <laughs> But maybe, he had this dance in that dance. Maybe Professor sort of, Griff, Terminator X. Terminator X was an interesting cat too. And <laughs> Professor Griff and the S1Ws were like the, uh, like, oh, there's some anger behind all yeah. this stuff. <laughs> uh -huh. There's some organization and some anger. So you better listen up. Uh, but you you like, know what's really interesting though, Bobby? Go back and listen to that music now. And it's it, like. Nothing's changed. It's mind blowing. Yeah. It's like, how did they know that back then? <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pro prophetic so. yeah yeah so yeah i'm not gonna i'm not gonna be uh nonchalant with my terminology after this <laughs> podcast. Uh, your culture yeah. has to give your culture it's not is it even your culture it's just a culture right well and you know so the uh because so there's the black comments... jamaicans they don't have your culture the, the people have immigrated from jamaica that are black do not have your culture even though they're black no. right Absolutely not. Right. And black people are not monolithic. I, one of the things that drives me crazy and on the political spectrum, I fall a little right of middle and well, you do live uh, in Central one of the Oregon. things that drives me crazy is whenever I talk about racism and stuff and somebody will send me something from Candace Owens and, and the idea is, Hey, look, 
she is a conservative black person who happens to agree with my point of view. And since you are a black person, you are now commanded to agree <laughs> with Candace Owens because I guess yeah, yeah. we have our own opinions or our own spectrum of, of thought and belief, right? And so I was like, ah, great. So That's a sticky issue that some people in different cultures need to get uh, under their belt about your culture. Yeah, and, and, that's, and that's when I send them um, an Eminem CD because <laughs> that guy is like a hand grenade, right? So yeah, yeah, you must agree with Eminem then, right? Yes, uh huh. Well, <laughs> and that was that was the issue that woke me up to this idea that I have friends who are racist because we were talking about the um, the Richard Brooks, and uh, we were having it was a conversation on social media, which you know those are the most important conversations. Yeah, and um, and it was a conversation about, you know, did they have to shoot the guy in the back? Nobody had said anything about race. And then he says, uh, well, you know, your African-American culture and the, the music that your people make teaches people to resist arrests, to fight police. And that's probably what got him killed. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. And my response was, you know, it's early in the morning. But that will probably end up being the most racist thing that I hear all day. And, uh, you know, I wanted to respond and say, well, you know, do we blame country music for you, like, wanting to sleep with your sister or getting drunk or losing your job or, you know. Hey, and man. Just, and, and we don't know. We don't, I, well, I don't know what kind of music, you know, Rashard Brooks listened to. And I think that people... Um, well, like I said, it goes back to that lizard brain. We were yeah. taught to categorize things quickly and and move on for the sake of survival. And so I'm going to give that guy the benefit of the doubt and say that's what it was, and I'm going to allow him to grow and change. But for right now, it's going to be from a distance just because I don't want to be – I don't even want to be the black friend that um, allows him to say, hey, I'm not a racist because yeah. – And you don't want to be the spokes, spokesperson either. Yeah, so – but yeah, and that made me kind of sad because he's somebody that outside of that, I just, I've always had tremendous respect for. Um, but that was, well, I can a grown man say that was hurtful, right? Yeah, no, yeah, it sure, hurt. sure, yeah. Yeah, so it was hurtful. And so um, and it left me kind of perplexed and confused about how I could feel two ways about the same person. And just made me think that, you know, any idea, not not just racism, but any idea is something that exists in a person. And it's a person that's still trying to kind of find their way, even if they think that they've already arrived. Um, yeah. So No, yeah. I was listening to two uh, academics debate. One was from Columbia, and I think the other one was from Yale. And they were talking about uh, diversity training. Oh, that Diversity education, you know. And the, the main point is, yes, there does need to be probably some element of diversity education in professionals or, or college or something like that. But then they also looked at the research that was available about diversity education, and it's actually very ineffective, if not derogatory, the results you get from diversity education at this point, the way it, that it's uh, provided. Uh, one, of the one of the debaters said, including some humor into the dialect, into diversity training, would actually help out tremendously to take a little bit of the levity out of the situation, like with right. you and your, your, your friend there, if mm -hmm. you guys could each have a, if it wasn't so quote unquote, uh, 
just irresponsible the thing that he said if there was some humor related to it like well yeah like you said like how many how many of you people are uh whatever lamenting your trucks and your dogs and all that stuff yeah. and music you know if there was some sort of ability to joke about it a little bit without it being offensive then the diversity the understanding could be there because you'd be like oh right. wait hey now that you put it back on me and country music is pretty dumb maybe i said something pretty dumb there too good point Right. Five yeah. days later. Huh, that was pretty insensitive of me to say that. Uh, but no, as men were not there yet of the, uh, most of us men aren't there yet with the, sorry, I hurt you. I didn't realize it. But there are quite a few that are there. So. Yeah. And you know, and so I play a punk rock song. How many punk rock songs or early rock and roll songs were like, fuck the police before NWA was like, fuck the police. You know, it's, that's right. Please well, people read a history book. Like, all of American history has been poor people, regardless of their cultural background, poor people being oppressed by rich people and then wanting to kill the rich people and take their yeah. stuff. Well, it's like all know, of America. One of the best books that I've read probably in the last couple of years is called um, White Trash, A 400-Year History of uh, Class in America. It was mind-blowing. Like, I, don't, I hate that term white trash now because... Um, like even in joking, because it's just it's so offensive to think of anybody as garbage or sure, disposable yeah. or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the author makes some really great points about the relationship between uh, black people and actually poor white people. Um, she points out that, you know, if you find a poor black neighborhood anywhere, right next to it is a poor white neighborhood. And that's by design because there are... Um, people who have a higher class or a higher status that need people with a lower class or a lower status to do some work. And right. so one of the things with racism is it's a tool to kind of pacify poor white people, right? Because exactly. That's you, you historically know, here's accurate. Your yes. Here's your dog to kick. And the, the interesting thing as I read that was I realized that poor white people have a lot more in common with black people or poor black people than they do with rich white people. Yes. And so that just blows up the whole skin color thing because it gets manufactured so that our, so that our social order works for the people who tend to do the best. It's perfectly highlighted in Howard Zinn's uh, a people's history of the United States of America. Oh yes. And so, so originally, and we don't have to get into like who suffered more because it's obvious that the African slave trade was like completely horrendous, but there were multiple different types of people that were either indentured servants or slaves mm -hmm. and they were equally treated horribly. But mm -hmm. eventually the indentured servants, the white folks would be given land once they served their period of indentured to mm -hmm. And what, how they were used was as a buffer because what the rich colonials were afraid of is that the African-Americans or actually the black slaves, the Africans yes. would, would join with the poor white people uh -huh. and they would make friends with the native Americans who were pushed out to the edge of the colonies. They would all get together and they would take over the, the rich colonials and kill them. So right. this idea of race laws and racism was exactly as you said, it was built as a buffer to keep those people arguing with each other so they wouldn't argue with the rich people. And that still goes on today and people don't pick up a history book to figure this out. So then we have this thing called social determinants of health. There are mm -hmm. social factors that can have a huge impact on your life and your health and your, 
ability to withstand contracting disease or your ability to contract a disease. And still today, people are arguing about race as a social determinant of health, which it is, mm -hmm. but there mm -hmm. are many of them. And the one that they seem to refuse to talk about as they're finger wagging and doing the social justice warrior thing is they're refusing to talk about income or income inequality, which is yes. the number one social determinant of health that yes. affects everybody. So yes. you don't get to pick a tribe to align yourself with when it affects everybody. So it's not fitting today's narrative of uh, give me something to fight for. Yeah, and I, and I think you're absolutely right because that's one of the big things with racism is it isn't about like, oh, I'm going to call you a name or we don't like you. or Yeah, that's you know. petty racism. It, that's, that exists, but that's not the problem. It's about being able to sort people into economic classes and keep people in yeah. economic classes. And so that's, that's the biggest thing with racism. I don't care if somebody calls me a name. What I care about is if, um, if I'm not allowed or – if I have unreasonable barriers to developing generational wealth, yeah, because yeah, kids of in the eyes. Yeah. something that I can't control, which is yeah. the color of my skin, that'll make people angry. That'll make people want to fight and burn stuff for sure. Absolutely, right? Yeah, I totally get and, that. And I think that, uh, and I think that that's really the big thing is we have to we have to fight poverty. That's American, by the way. What's like, what's American? That the the this idea that if you prevent me from expressing myself to my fullest potential through some sort of organization or policy or tax or rule that I am going to get my brothers and sisters together and we are going to burn your shit down mm -hmm. is an American thing from Shays rebellion oh, yeah. to Bacon's rebellion to, oh, yes. the, the, to the American revolution. Uh -huh. that, Tea Party. That, yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that's not based on race at all. That's based on class. Yes. Yes. So, yeah, and, you know, and I think the thing, too, is that, that people don't acknowledge is that it hurts everybody. It doesn't just hurt the people who are oppressed. It certainly hurts them the most, but it also hurts the oppressors, too. Yeah. Because, uh, and it doesn't hurt them um, economically, of course, but I think spiritually from the, from, the, uh, from the standpoint of opportunities that are missed out on because we suppress thought we suppress innovation we suppress contribution because we want to put people in a box and say you're going to contribute to society and it's going to be this way um and often with poverty it's you're going to contribute to society by pushing a button in a factory or doing a very dangerous job or something like that but we don't want you to innovate we don't want you to come up with new plans new ideas new inventions new ways of doing things because that's going to threaten us um, economically, what ends up happening is we miss the benefit of genius that gets suppressed because of our social constructs. And so maybe we've missed the cure for cancer because the, the person who was going to find that uh, didn't look the way that we wanted them to look, or they, uh, they didn't have the parents that we wanted them to have, yeah. or they didn't dress the way that we wanted them to dress. And so all of society Camden, suffers. Yeah. They're born in Camden, by, New by Jersey, instead of being being born in a in a advantageous place like near Boston or something. Yeah, exactly. So, how does this play out as we wrap up? How does this play out in practice? How have the patients been for you? Is it awkward? Oh, is it, <laughs> do people like, hey, man, like, uh, oh man. So, um, so here's there's here's some stuff going on. <laughs> yeah. So here's. 
one thing that was difficult was immediately once protests and everything started, I get contacted by three or four different organizations, a couple of like uh, newspapers, local high school. And they're like, hey, we want to feature you on a list of black owned businesses in the community so that people can go out and they can help. Right. And gosh, I was Jeez. instantly so uncomfortable, so uncomfortable for me because, um, you know, I don't think that that's a really great reason to choose a healthcare provider is because right. you want to you help them like, out because you feel sorry for them or yeah, white guilt or, you know, whatever yeah. it is. I know that that's something that absolutely exists because I get a certain number of patients who come to me every year and they say, you know what, you're my chiropractor because I want a black chiropractor. Right. And, and often yeah. it's somebody who's black or Latino or they're married, uh, they're in an interracial marriage. And so I get that. Sure. But I mean, I, you understand why it's uncomfortable, right? Sure. So yeah, no, yeah. I was super conflicted about this. And I asked lots of people about, you know, what do you think about this? And, you know, what I decided was that, so for one thing, if I didn't um, agree to this, I would be probably the largest black owned business in my community that was not represented on the list, right. which I think would be kind of awkward, right? And There's sort of a loyalty check there and you would kind of violate the loyalty check. Yeah, right. And I don't want to punish people for wanting to do something good. Right. What I decided was if, if I'm on this list, that doesn't mean that somebody has to become a patient. It just means that they're going to check us out. And if that's why people check us out, I'm not, I'm going to make sure that if they're giving me their money, it's not going to be because I'm black. Um, it's not going to be because they feel sorry for me. When they come in, they give me money. What they're going to walk away with is they're going to feel like they got a ton of value out of it. And so, um, and I thought about the fact that people choose, people use really stupid reasons for deciding who they're going to go see for anything. Tremendously. Yeah. Tremendously like wildly stupid reasons. And so if this is their stupid reason for coming to see me, I'm just going to give them as much value as I can out of it. You'd be shocked so, how my business changed the moment I got married and had a picture of me and my family on the yeah. website versus just me. Oh, absolutely. You know, absolutely. just these sort of things. Yeah. So I've had patients who have come in and it's really been touching the ones who have checked on me. Uh, the ones who've asked about my family the ones who have told me, hey, we're going out to do a protest and, and we're thinking of you. I have one friend who um, is, is like very, like I would never think that he would uh, like get involved in a Black Lives Matter, anything like that. But, you know, he said, I love you and I appreciate you. So my family is going to march today and we're, and we're doing it because, because we love you. And so there's been some things that have been tremendously touching. Um, I've had some really great conversations with patients and um, so it's, I, I think all in all, it's been a positive thing. You know, when, when I first started the practice, the guy who designed my logo, um, he, he made up this flyer, which I thought was actually hilarious. And it had my picture on it. It was for our grand opening and I, and he Photoshopped in this Afro and it was like, <laughs> come see the number one soul brother in Corvallis and experience black O practic. Right. And at yeah, the time, yeah. like I looked at it and I just thought that it was the funniest thing ever. <laughs> just, and that was a relationship that me and him had, but you know, 13 years later, he sends me a Facebook message and he said, you know what? Like all this has got me thinking, 
And I don't know, did that hurt you when I did that? Because I wasn't trying to hurt you. And if it did, I'm really, really sorry. So that was like really touching to me. And, you know, yeah. and it didn't hurt me. And I understood where he's coming from. But it was just really touching that, you know, people would check back and try and, you know, uh, touch base and see, are we okay? And yeah. I think that that's really the big thing. And, and that's the humanistic portion of this, right? Is that yeah. at the end of the day, we have to realize that everybody involved, the white people, the black people, uh, the good guys, the bad guys, whatever you want to call them, the racists, the anti-racists, they're all people. And yeah, yeah. so everybody, um, everybody's hurting for yes. some reason. Yeah. So we all just got to take care of each other and things will be fine. Yeah. And understand that there is levity there. Like your friends, because of the friendship you had, there was some sort of consent mm-hmm. there and, and, Sometimes some people can assume the consent consent versus uh-huh. uh, actually going through the consent process, which might have been what he did, and that was the guilt he was feeling. It's like uh, with with friends, you get a little bit more levity to get away with things that you wouldn't in public, right? And um, yeah, you, these days, I, I, probably all days, but especially these days, that might be one of the learning lessons. We're all different, and we're all human, mm-hmm. and comedy and levity can get us through a lot of this, and it can also help us learn but there's got to be a consent process through what what's appropriate for each individual person. I mean, the, the smallest minority on the planet is the individual. Yeah. We, we try to do this with this evidence-based thing. N equals one. We're all absolutely different. Mm-hmm. So we have to understand everybody's different perspective, where they're coming from. Just because someone has dark skin doesn't mean they've experienced everything that other dark skin people have dealt with. Uh, right. You're going to, you're going to, uh, witness like a, I'm sure they're on YouTube already. The dark skin people from Harvard are like, skin color is no problem. And you're like, dude, you're, you've graduated from Harvard. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, go ask somebody. And once again, Camden, New Jersey, what skin color does to them. Ask somebody Mm -hmm. along, you know, it's just really about understanding every, that's the main push. Because they have one type of privilege, right? Yeah. Understand what each, this is the intersectionality of human beings. It's like the intersection is we all have, we all have some sort of privilege whether it's yes. a very tiny bit of privilege or a whole lot of privilege. Mm-hmm. And we all have some sort of uh, identity, whether it's your sexual identity, your racial identity, your gender, um, where you come from, where you immigrated from. We all have that identity as well. And, those and you don't just have one identity. Exactly. It's a bunch of things that go into it. So we don't want to make these identity arguments because then you're starting to pick out which identity fits you the most to make a person a victim. Jason right. Young is not a victim, but he has got some identities that have victimhood in it, just like I do and everybody else. And we have to understand that and be respectful of those different things. So come be a patient at his chiropractic clinic. Yeah, check yes. out. <laughs> what, what did he call you? The smoothest soul brother in Corvallis? Uh, it was Black Opractic. Oh, okay, maybe he should 10 years later kind of be like, hey, was that all right? <laughs> if, yeah, if I... <laughs> If I could dig out the flyer, I'll, I'll let you see a copy of it. Yeah. But um, I mean, the guy, he's, he's a really good friend and you know, it's, and I think that, I think that you're right about humor and levity. One of the beautiful things about humor and one of the reasons I use it so much is it allows us to confront something that's very uncomfortable in a way that is manageable, promotes forgiveness, uh, develops common ground and things like that. So that's why I make fun of people who are in pain or disabled. Yeah, you know? absolutely. <laughs> Not really, but um, 
but I think that uh, if you can laugh about something, then you can survive something. Yeah. You can move on. Um, can I share an experience real quick before we're done? Yes, you can. All right. Of course. So, so I wouldn't, when I wouldn't I want to. What, are they, what, what do they accuse me of sometimes? Tone policing and gatekeeping are the new buzzwords. I, I oh, want really? To are you a tone you. police? <laughs> I wouldn't want to gatekeep you from your... Uh, your from my story. Yeah. <laughs> so whenever I uh, finished chiropractic school, I had about three months. And this is bringing it full circle. I had three months until I could take the boards because of that darn NBCE, right? Yeah. But I had two beautiful daughters and a wife. And they wanted to eat food. So I had to work. So I went to work for um, Western States as a recruiter. And so I would go on these trips to, I think I did like Texas, Utah. Um, I think I did Washington or Idaho, something like that. So I'd show up, go to, uh, you know, these grad fairs and try and trick people into becoming chiropractors. So I am in Utah one day and I went to Weber State, met with a group. And then I was going to take my time and drive up to Logan where uh, Utah state is. And uh, I stopped along the way and I decided I was going to play nine holes of golf, which isn't really me. I suck at golf, but it was fun. You know, so I went out there and I golfed by myself. And then after I got done golfing, I went to Applebee's and uh, watched a basketball game while I ate. When I left, it was dark and late. And so I get to Logan, Utah and, um, it's probably about 1145 midnight around there. And, uh, Logan's kind of a small town. Like I come from and, uh, everybody, like everything shuts down around probably eight o'clock. So nothing's open. And this was in the days before we had smartphones. So I had a cell phone, but I didn't have a car charger. Um, and, I printed out my directions to the bed and breakfast I was going to be staying at on um, MapQuest. That was the thing back then. And so I had these directions, but I couldn't find the place where I was supposed to be staying. And so I'm driving around this neighborhood and just nothing's like matching up. I can't go to a gas station. They're all closed. I can't go to a store. They're all closed. I can't call anybody because my phone is dead. And um I feel like right now I'm the only black guy in Logan. So I can't go knock on somebody's door or something like that because you know, I don't want to get the cops called on me. I don't know if it's safe. <laughs> and so um, kind of harkens back to some of the other conversations that we've had. So I'm exhausted. I'm alone. I've got a job to do. I don't know where I'm going and I'm just overwhelmed. I can't even call my wife and, and like get some emotional support. So I'm sitting there in the car by the side of the road. And I just have this thought that, Right now, I could start crying. <laughs> so I could sit there and I could cry. But then I had this other thought really quickly. And I thought, just as easily, I could laugh. I could just laugh really hard about this. So I had this choice. I could laugh or I could cry. So I said, I'm good. I, I know I could cry. So I'm just going to try laughing. So I just started, um, ha, 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 right? <laughs> and so it was a fake laugh. But then after a while, I just felt so stupid for this fake laugh that I really started to laugh and I started laughing harder and harder. And pretty soon I was laughing so hard that I was crying. And then after a while I was sitting there laughing and my car literally starts to fill up with light. And like, there's a tap on my window <laughs> and oh, my no. car was full oh, of light no. because the cops had pulled up behind me. <laughs> 
and there were, and their searchlight was shining into the car and the police officer uh, is looking at me and I'm still kind of laughing. And so I don't know what he's thinking about me, but he asked, what are, what are you doing? And I said, I'm lost. I don't, I'm trying to find this bed and breakfast and I don't know like how to get there. He said, well, what's the address? So I gave him the address and he said, well, you're parked right outside of it. <laughs> I said, really? He said, yeah, it's that house right there. <laughs> so I was like, okay, thank you, officer. I didn't even have to move my car. I just turned it off, got out, went in and uh, like took a shower, went to bed. And I think that that um, I've always remembered that. And it's just been such a great life lesson because when you come up against difficult things, you're emotionally drained, you're tired, you, you feel like you're not safe, you can choose to cry or laugh and laughing works. It works great. And the situation did not change. You know, I was already where I needed to be. It was all about how I was going to shape it and how I was going to react to it. And I've carried that lesson through my whole life. I carry it into practice where when people have hard things going on and they, and they come in and sometimes they're literally crying, I teach them, let's laugh about this instead because crying doesn't help. It doesn't. I mean, crying has its place, but laughing is so much more fun. So nope, that's, that's what I'll leave you with, Bobby. That is a perfect position to leave this podcast. I don't think you and I intended to go that far there as we, ha- as we did. Um, I don't but think I'm so. glad I'm glad we did. Yeah. I know you've very been good. I feel you, good, Bobby. Thank you. Are, are you going to laugh or cry after this podcast? <laughs> Probably a bit of both. <laughs> um, obviously, uh, it's you have put into words easily why I appreciate you so much. You're very, very important for our profession. And I hope you get the opportunity to express that to your full capability. Thank you. As you go on, not just in the NBCE, but beyond that and beyond that and beyond that. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And I don't think this will be the last time we'll be talking on this podcast. And I got to thank you for all that you do for everybody too. I don't think that people realize how much you don't get out of this, even though you do get some things out of it that, um, that are intangible. But, um, I, I really appreciate it. You give a lot of people, um, you give them a place. It's like cheers, right? Yeah. 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 Um, and I'm getting better. Like I'm improving and learning and trying to figure out better ways to do it too. It's, it hasn't been, no one's, no, I don't think anyone's done this before. So it's not a smooth ride trying to figure out how to do it first, I guess you could say. I believe you. So, uh, but we're having fun and conversations like this make it completely worthwhile. Great. All right, man. I'll see you. I appreciate you. Yeah, you bet. Let's do it again sometime. Yep. All right. 